Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. And welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Gabe uh, Hart. Sorry, well, but first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee. If you'd like to access our vast archive of now 157 shows, including today, they are all out there, plus Washington and Florida editions with Julie and Pat and Vincent. And don't forget the CEO special. Very cool shows at Spotify and iTunes, Instagram and YouTube. I'm sure there are several, if not all, that will interest you. While you're there, please subscribe. It's free. Welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Gabe Hart. Gabe Hart is the former Chief Communications Officer for Haywood County Schools in Brownsville, Tennessee, and a 20-year veteran of public education. Haywood's got 533 kids at age three and older, enrolled versus Shelby at 52,000, just to paint the picture. He's a former teacher of English and literature, that's the high school. He writes a monthly op-ed column for the Jackson Sun, a monthly column for Tennessee Lookout, as well as feature stories for the quarterly journal, Our Jackson Home. He also serves on the education committee for the newly formed Jackson Equity Project, which seeks to advocate for equity and justice for marginalized, disenfranchised, and oppressed people living in Jackson, population 68,004, down from 68,169 in 2020. Beyond writing and teaching, also does a bi-monthly podcast for News Talk 96.5 in West Tennessee, The Stories We Tell, keeping up with all of the happenings in Madison County, population 99,245 as of July 1st, 2022, so probably even over 100,000 today. And you can hear him on talk radio uh, news 96.5 FM, Jackson. The mission of News Talk 96.5 FM is to provide a trusted and indispensable source of information and entertainment while strengthening the civil and cultural life of the communities they serve, from the political to the social to everything in between. Gabe enjoys spending time with his 16-year-old daughter. Hello, Gabe. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Did I get all that right? Is it all updated and accurate? Most of it, yes. I will say Haywood County School System, more than 553 kids. That's the high school. Um, yeah, there are about six again. other campuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, at the high school, 553, over 2,000 in the district. Okay. But a small town nonetheless, and that's what we like around small here. Small town. Heartland stuff. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so your daughter, is she in a public school or a private school? Or Tell us public a little bit school. about her education. Um, okay. Yes. Now, she grew up her first uh, 13 years uh, living outside of Dallas, a town called Plano with her mom and moved to Tennessee with me um, two years ago before she started her freshman year of high school. And she is currently enrolled in Madison Academic Magnet School. It's a public school. It's an academic magnet school, college preparatory magnet school. Mm -hmm. It's part of Jackson Madison County School System. And does she like Plano uh, better than Tennessee or Tennessee better than Plano, Texas? Tennessee better than Plano, Texas. Okay. Uh, a little more diversity in West Tennessee than in Plano. Um, the architecture is a little more diverse. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to the Metroplex in, in, the, in the DFW area, but um, looks like it was cut out the of airport, the for yeah. the wives. So, yeah, well, <laughs> every, every, everything is a cul-de-sac there, everything. So she, she does like the variety of architecture here for sure. 
Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. As long as she's settling in, that's great. My daughter moved here about the same time, 16 years old as well, um, with us. Uh, Jackson Madison County Equity Project, a nonpartisan organization, advocates for equity and justice for marginalized, disenfranchised, and addressed pe oppressed people living in our community. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. The Equity Project is something that started in 2020. Um, I think sort of it coincided um, with the situations with uh, Breonna Taylor, um, George Floyd. Obviously, you had COVID that was sort of surrounding all of that. Everybody was sort of locked down uh, for a little while. And so they were forced to sort of see everything that was happening on the news, or they wanted to or not. And um, I know the, the BLM movement has been obviously... I guess the, the context of that movement from the origination has changed quite a bit since it started. Um, but in that movement, there was an idea of, are we making sure all of the citizens of our community um, are giving the same equitable opportunities, right? And there's a difference in equity and equality. And so that Jackson Equity Project was formed based on that idea. Are there things that, we're, that, that are being overlooked that are affecting a disproportionate amount of people in our city who don't maybe have the resources that um, upper middle class people have, right? Or maybe they are being disenfranchised because of the systemic issues with race, uh, specifically in the South. We just wanted to make sure that we weren't overlooking people in our community. And if we were, how can we change that? And that's what the Equity Project fo focuses on. We, we, there's a group uh, that focuses on criminal justice in the community, a group that focuses on education, a group that focuses on healthcare, pretty much everything that makes up uh, a city and a community, we have a, a, a committee on the equity project that really looks at those things. Interesting. And so the Jackson Equity Project is a fund of the West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation. How do they work together? Well, the, it's, it's the West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation's name has changed to the Community Foundation. And, and essentially all that is, is simply a holding place for nonprofits, right? It's not necessarily linked to West Tennessee. And then, of course, Community Foundation isn't even part of West Tennessee Healthcare anymore, I don't believe. Um, but the foundation is a place to just sort of house um, monies for nonprofits. Mm. Oh, so it's an incubator for more than just the swan uh, that you're with. What, what, do you yes. do, what do you do for them? For the equity project, for the yeah the uh, the Madison, Jackson Madison County equity project that you're with, I was part of the education um, committee there, and all, what what we were trying to do is to make sure it, with within our public school system, and we probably will get into this in the last 25 years, especially since I graduated, there has definitely been uh, some would call it white flight, some would call it. Um, a movement of social classes away from the public school district into a neighboring county uh, north of us, or to where our private schools in our city now, where 25 years ago they were barely existing, are now sort of flourishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and when that happens, resources are stretched and they are pulled out of public schools. Financial resources, one, because if you lose student population, you do lose funding. Uh, but more importantly, resources such as partnerships with industry, parental involvement resources, really the intangible things that make a school system and schools successful uh, in the last quarter century have sort of left our district. And we're basically, as the Equity Project, we are looking to see where those the biggest gaps are 
in that and seeing if there's anything that we can do, whether it's linking a, a certain school with a, a business or an industry to, to partner with them to give them not necessarily added support financially, but just added support as a member of the community. Uh, so just trying to sort of fill those gaps that have been created in the last you know 25 years. I will say that the equity project since its inception in 2020 has, especially with things, I don't want to say getting back to normal after COVID, just with life going on, it hasn't been as consistent as it was the first couple of years. Uh, mm. We held forums for school board candidates. We held, we did a before the school board thing was even like this hot, hot topic, right? This right. hot button issue, which they are now because every school board race in Tennessee is a, you know, a partisan election. Right. They uh, used to be nonpartisan for many, 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 many years. And then last time around, which I think was two years ago, they became partisan. And so next year, which we'll talk about later in the show, uh, they actually will be partisan seats. So people will actually say you're either with us or against us or that type of thing. Um, right. I did want to, I just had a few questions about the, the people there. Um, you know, equity, Merriam Webster dictionary, equity refers to fairness or justice in the way people are treated and especially freedom from the bias of favoritism as in governed according to the principles of equity. Okay. So Theo Jordan, you may have heard of him. People love him or hate him, whatever. He said, woke is socialism. Do you agree with that Marxism to take on, um, you know, from the West, from China, maybe? I know Frank McMean is the president. He's also Western Tennessee Healthcare Foundation treasurer. Um, what is Western Tennessee Healthcare Foundation? Who is Frank McMean? And how do they apply this equity if you don't agree or do agree with that definition? I, I, don't, I don't know that they are part of this conversation at all, necessarily. Um, I'm trying to understand the question. So Frank McMean is with West Tennessee Healthcare Foundation. He is the president of Jackson right. Equity Project. And so I just want to know the equity portion of he and him and the project. So can anybody go to this project and get what help for public education? I'm just I'm just trying to understand the the mission of the of the foundation of the project of equity project. Yeah. The, yeah. The, and again, then using equity, is which is a, go ahead. Yeah. Equity in the sense of like social equity, right? Yeah. Like yeah. are, is every community member, right? Are, is, is everyone getting the same types of opportunities? Are they getting the same types of resources? Right. And I don't mean like this in some, communist socialistic way right where everybody's saying hey do you have to do i'm talking about basic rights so when you talk about education or public education are the resources at a school in a very poor part of town are those the same as a public school in an affluent part of town and what i mean by that obviously funding is going to be dispensed through the county commission through the state with tisa and the new formula right so we don't mess with any of that what we're talking about like i mentioned before are Resources that may not be financial, right? Parental involvement, community involvement. Is there something we can do as a group that's going to fill those gaps that have been created because of abject poverty in certain parts of town, because of uh, a mass of people moving and relocating, which they have every right to do. Like there's no villain in this situation. This is just the way it is. And so mm -hmm. when this happens, are there things that we can do as, as a group 
to sort of, again, fill those gaps that have been created. And that's all we're doing. You know, we're just, we're being aware of it rather than mm-hmm. ignoring it and acting like it doesn't exist and saying, well, you guys fend for yourself because if you think about it, a community, especially one as diverse as Jack's, when I say diverse, I mean racially diverse, socioeconomically diverse, educationally diverse. What you don't want to have is when you have pockets of people who are disenfranchised, it affects the entire community. Plus, it's just the right thing to do, in my opinion, at least, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just don't want, if you know there's a need, you want to see if you can help fill some of those needs. Sure. Yeah. It's so your that's cause. what that does. Yeah, and so he he also has Matthew Marshall there. He's the board chair. He's the president of United Way. You got Sabrina Blue, who's the CEO of Helping Hands. They're activists slash NGOs. Let's put, put it that way. And the mission says our work is driven by community action committees made up of Jackson citizens like yourself and community leaders already doing good work in their daily lives towards justice and equity. That's where I'm confused. By coming to the same table we can combine our knowledge, strength, and resources to work for a more equitable and thriving Jackson and Madison County. And it's primarily related to public schools, right? Sure. Yeah, well, equity is not a bad word. I don't know. People get offended by that word. That's not an offensive word. I think I think a good example is something that I'm learning right now. Okay, so my daughter, as we, we talked about before we went on uh, the air, she's looking at colleges. ACT is a big part of that, right? Yeah. I as a parent and going to pay for her to take that ACT as much as she can, right? She's already taken it twice. Anytime she wants to take it, she'll take it every time I'll pay the $65 or whatever it is to, to take it from those scores. You can get a super score. A lot of universities accept super scores. Now, and the more times you take it, obviously the higher super score you're going to get at the school where I teach a lot of my students, their parents aren't going to pay for that because a, they can't afford it. B a lot of times the communication to get that out there to them doesn't make it, whether it's uh, lack of internet services, whether it's uh, lack of access to communication, to consistent communication because the families are moving frequently, right? From from one rental space to another. Uh, they're gonna get to take the ACT two times and that's when our public school system provides it for free for them. That's it. So when I say something like equity, like that's not an equitable situation. now. Can we solve that problem completely? No, but my daughter has a distinct advantage over them simply because of financial resources. So the word equity sometimes means can, is there something that we can do that can start to sort of close that gap? Because with the way college tuition is now, like those gaps are going to continue to widen, right? Mm -hmm, And that, mm -hmm. and that I do believe affects all of us collectively as a community. Like I don't think a a gap that continues to widen is healthy for anybody, regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on. It does. It does. You're right. And, and it's true that ACTs and college isn't for everybody. And so that's understandable, but for those that should be entitled to do it, I understand you want to give a helping hand. I was just looking at statistics where the driving rate for teens is way down over the 30 year average. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the cost of driver's training. They can't all afford that. So I totally get that. And it's not cheap to be a kid in America. Um, okay, just one last piece of that, and then we'll move on to some uh, more personal stuff. A0, Kendall Anthony. Kendall's a professional basketball player from Jackson, Tennessee. He's using his skills and experience to give back to the community through basketball camps, community events, and fundraising efforts to single mothers, 
Uh, we also aim to provide positive leadership in order to create reliable role models in our community for single mothers. Our services provide help for those that are struggling financially or in any way, in any other way to provide for themselves and their families. So the project does a lot. Um, how does it mostly raise its money and, and support itself to do this good work? Well, that is the thing. I think I think that's something that they're trying to figure out. And as I mentioned, it's not as consistent as it has been. And I'm not sure how long or when that website was updated. You know, last. Um, I, as far as fundraising, I know that we don't do necessarily a lot of. I don't know, galas or whatever the, the, the cliche fundraisers are around in Jackson that I'm that come off the top of my head. We don't do a lot of that. Um, the a lot of ours, the, the, yeah, the, we, the ticket sales, the raffles, right. We hadn't made it that far yet. I think well ours is more of a grassroots thing, like what like action oriented um okay. is probably the best way to put it. I, I do know that we have helped con, uh, reopen a, a boxing facility in East Jackson, which was for a long time was sort of a legendary place in the 50s and 60s where a lot of Golden Gloves boxers came through. And I know boxing is sort of the sport that has lost popularity, especially since the MMA stuff has come to life and things like that. Like boxing just sort of fell to the wayside. But we've reopened that and had it as a place where where kids from the neighborhood can come. They can be trained by someone who knows the sport. So it's not like you're going in there and, and risking bodily injury. They are actually getting trained in the sport that we feel teaches discipline. We've partnered with the local police department for officers to come over and also start to sort of build these bridges into those communities where they're not viewed as someone who is simply – uh, arresting a community member or kids see a police coming down the street. They're like, Oh no, who are they coming to get or what's going on? Or do we have to be worried about what's about to happen? Um, they're there to sort of, you know, build bridges into that community, build relationships with kids and they can do it in a fun way because you know, when you're a kid who doesn't love to get in a ring and, you know, put some gloves on some headgear yeah. and throw a few punches every now and then. So it, it reminds, it's me, those it reminds me of the boys, or the boys club when I was a kid back in uh, Northern yeah, California. It's very similar. Yeah, it's, it is very similar to that. And there are spaces for kids to do homework. And, you know, so it, it's it's a space in the community that provides some structure. Yep. And Johnny Cash made it famous, right? The song Jackson and the bridges of Madison County with Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep. So it's a, it's a popular town that uh, <laughs> is overlooked as everybody's in, excited about Nashville. Um, okay. So what is the Tennessee Lookout and how is working for uh, Molly McCall? Oh, Holly McCall. Holly, she's outstanding. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, she's she's the editor in, uh, of Lookout. Uh, you know, I started writing for them two and a half years ago, and I believe they were just sort of getting off the ground at that point. Um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I just knew I hadn't heard a lot from them. And I sent her a piece, some pieces I'd written for the local paper, and she was like, yes, this, this sounds good. Let's, let's you know how about a monthly column? And I said, sure. And so uh, since July of 2021, uh, give or take, it, sometimes it's, a six, it's six weeks. I don't, I, don't get, I don't get my column in, but usually it's monthly. Um, and it's been outstanding because the lookout has really grown. And I think it's grown a lot because of Gannett's sort of failure with the papers that they own in, in Tennessee, the Jackson Sun being one, the Tennessean being one. Um, the reporters for Lookout are outstanding. Uh, Adam Friedman, 
uh, is one. He came from Jackson, Tennessee to the Tennessean and then eventually went to Lookout. Sam Stockard's a veteran reporter. I believe he was at the Tennessean at one point. Um, so, so the team that has been assembled at Lookout is, I believe, they do incredible journalism in a, in a time where, one, it's needed, okay, first in Tennessee, because Tennessee, like I feel like things happen so quickly here, legislatively speaking, uh, and it's a lot to keep up with. And so I think they, they are boots, they have boots on the ground in Nashville, which is important. And they're also, they're going to hire a reporter to cover West Tennessee only, which is good because I feel like West Tennessee has been overlooked a long time. Like everybody That's loves right. East Tennessee because it's beautiful and you got yeah. Knoxville. Nashville is booming, right? I mean, it's, it's growing leaps and bounds. And then you got us over here on the Western side and I think we get overlooked some. So I'm glad they're bringing a reporter over here, but uh, they do a hell of a job covering all of the issues in, in Tennessee. And would you consider it um, somewhat biased? Would you say it's mainstream, left-leaning, conservative? Man, that's tough. You know, it depends. It's so interesting. Do you remember there was a graph that came out on social media a few years ago? They just sort of ranked all the media outlets, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you had like NPR sort of right in the middle. And if you ask somebody on the right, they'd be like, oh, NPR is left-leaning and blah, blah, blah. So it's really hard to to gauge, in my opinion. and I'm obviously I lean left. I think Lookout, is, at least their journalism, is very fair. I believe that. Um, I think everything we're human beings, right? And we're covering issues, so I think everything is the angle you take as a journalist. And I'm not a journalist; I'm an opinion writer. Two different things. Uh, but I I would imagine if I were a journalist, the angle I would take on certain stories would probably be informed by what I feel about. And so whether, you know, if I write my story as fair as I can, if I'm coming at it from a certain mindset, it, there's going to be a little bit of bias in there. I, I don't, I think it would be naive to say that there's no bias anywhere. Right. Yeah. But Until also chat GBT takes our jobs, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. but I do believe that, that, that framing context around issues is, is very important. And some people call that bias. I don't, I, I don't know that you can just spit out a bunch of facts without context and so i think that's been a lot of my issue with a lot of the stuff that's been legislated against public schools starting with critical race theory which never existed to begin with in public schools but you can't teach certain aspects of history and build the context without sort of stepping on the toes of some of that legislation it's impossible Mm -hmm. um and, and that may lead into some other conversations that you want to have down the road but i think in my opinion, going back to your original question, yeah, I believe Lookout is pretty fair. I mean, you know, I do. I think it's a it's a good source of of information for what's happening in Tennessee. And I'd actually agree with that. There's some. So I'm gonna have to peg it as kind of a little left of center, but not far right of center, and certainly not far left. And there are others that are. So I'm gonna have to agree with you that you 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 hooked up with a. I'm not going to say fair and balanced, but I'm going to say fair. Um, So you went from 68,000 residents and a little bit shrinking, like I read in the, in the bio to a hundred thousand and growing a little bit, about half a percent this year. Um, Madison's overall poverty rate is about 18.74%. Jackson's is 23.67% overall poverty. Um, Less than ninth grade, 36% 36% of the residents, high school, 23%, some college, less than 20%. 
bachelors or greater 5.65% and female unemployed 50%, male unemployed 27.24%. 74.78% are born in Madison County, Tennessee, which is unusual because where I live in Franklin, two thirds aren't even from here. They weren't born here, not even all from Tennessee, of course. So it's people stay, but that's kind of who they are. How do you overall perceive the, the community you live in, in terms of, um, well, just demographics, how, how would you talk about them in terms of, you know, voting and school and education and, and hardworking or not, or whatever, how, how would you define your own neighbors? It's interesting. What, what, what was your source for the stats that you just rattled off there? Uh, there's a county by county website that Tennessee puts out. I'd have to okay. grab it. I always usually um, put the notes right there, but I didn't have that. Did you five point something percent was bachelor's degree? Five point six five percent bachelors or greater live in in Jackson. Okay, that's surprising. I would think it would be a lot more than that. Um, honestly, that that kind of caught me off guard. Um, of course, Jackson is a city within Madison County, right? So you have this. The Madison County is is sort of little communities around it. Um, how would I describe Jackson? It's, it's, man, it is a very segregated city um, in a lot of ways. It, it, it's almost like four different communities within one city. Is the best, I've described it like that several times in several articles I've written. I've described it like that on the radio that I, the radio show I do. Um, you have South Jackson, East Jackson, Midtown, where I live, and then North Jackson. The concentration of wealth is in the northwestern part of the city. It's where all our private schools are. It's where every single business usually invests, like chains. You know, you got your Target out there, um, Kohl's, like all, all of whatever your chain department stores are. Obviously, they want to make money. They're going to invest in that area because that's where a lot of the wealth is. And again, this, you know, I feel like everything we talk about, I can sort of point back to equity. It's like, okay, when all of that happens in a town the size of Jackson, which isn't big, there's going to call shifts in the landscape, the socioeconomic landscape, which causes shifts in every public institution that taxpayers fund, including the school system. So how do you respond to all of those shifts? And it's been a huge shift in the last 25 years, the amount of wealth that has moved out to the northwestern part of the county. Um, what we are seeing with the development of Blue Oval City, however, in Brownsville, which is not far from us, like it's the neighboring county, Haywood County connects to Madison, we are seeing an influx of business and industry into Jackson. Um, our population numbers, and that's something else we actually worked with with the equity project, we really wanted to make sure that East Jackson, where a lot of our, our poor residents live and a lot of minorities live, filled out the census form because we needed an accurate picture of our population. And a lot of the community, they were hesitant. There, there's, there's not a lot of trust to government, rightfully so, I think, sometimes. Uh, and they didn't want to give a lot of that information. So I think our census number is a little bit off. If I had to guess, Jackson, Tennessee, we probably are over the 70,000 mark, probably 72, 73,000 is the city. Madison County is well over 100,000, I think. Um, you know, but based on census data, that's all we got. Uh, so I would describe Jackson as a segregated city. I'm concerned for it. Um, I feel like the resources have been stretched a lot from certain parts of the city. And when you leave certain groups of people with not a lot of options, 
I think you see rises in crime rates. Uh, I'm not excusing that. I just think there's a correlation. Um, I think you see businesses who are less willing to invest in a community um, if the public school system isn't up to their quote unquote standard. So there's a lot of things that can happen with the community when these seismic shifts occur. And I see Jackson right now as as a as a city that we have a very uh, progressive mayor, and I know that's a that's a dirty word sometimes. I don't mean it politically speaking. I just mean he is really trying to make decisions to advance the city as a whole and prepare for the industry that he thinks we might be able to get, given the fact that Ford is putting Blueable City just right next door to us. So he's right. thinking ahead, and our previous mayor didn't do that. Which, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's probably a lot of reason kind of why we are where we are. And how do you think they feel about Tennessee spending about a half a billion dollars, $500 million on illegal immigrant education? And one assemblyman from my county wants to let them be police officers even. Can you imagine a Madison County taxpayer getting arrested by an illegal alien? Uh, that probably can't be good. How, how do you think they feel about that? All right, hold on, go back to that. What was the wait, tell me? Go rephrase in the in the, in the in the year that's about to end. Tennessee spent half a billion dollars to educate illegal aliens, non citizens, in the whole state, which would include the schools that we're going to talk about with where you're at. Um, you know, Briard High School had five point six percent overall success rate of that zoned high school. That's really bad. Drug filled. What high school? Uh, Brainerd. That's Where's not that? in your county. That's over in Eastern side. I'm just talking about how okay. low of a success rate the schools are, but yet that much money. And they're talking about vouchers right now that they're getting a lot of pushback against. They don't want them, although I, I think it's probably a, a time to fix things. But not a lot of people know that half a million dollars of taxpayer money went to non-citizen education. Did you know that? Well, I think I've seen the, the graphic that you you posted once, and I, um, correct that referenced that. Okay, but but okay, tell me how your schools are funded. Where you live, Franklin? Yeah. Oh, I know it's property taxes and and uh, sales taxes. Yeah, I mean they. So they're taxpayers. They're paying taxes. Well, usage taxes for sure, but not you know I'm not paying sales for my taxes. neighbors' schools per se. I use this house. I buy that grocery. Although it's a grocery tax uh, holiday. It's a grocery tax. Right. Now it is, but sales tax, not just groceries, but sales, period. Yeah. Like that's yeah. how Franklin, that, that, Franklin gets over half of its revenue from sales taxes, but they don't deal with the schools. The county does. Right. Well, Madison County, we deal with schools, and a lot of that is from sales tax that we Correct. get. Illegal immigrants go to the store, they spend money, they just charge them sales tax. It comes back to the school it's not so it's not like they're just not paying any taxes so the taxes that they are paying on that is paying for the schools um so how how do i feel about that i i, mm-hmm. I don't i don't know that those numbers like you need context for those numbers you can't just throw numbers out there without context around them so what it makes well, it here, okay like here, here's context for you so when i was a kid in the 70s K through 12 spending was about 7,130 bucks. In the 80s, it was 9,048, 2000s, 14,300, 2010, 17,000, and 2020, 18,000 inflation adjusted per kid. 
that is part of the sales tax that you're talking about that's going towards people who are not from here. They're not citizens. I don't mean people like me who move from California to Tennessee and buy a house and pay property taxes. I mean, not supposed to be here. They came here across the border and haven't been kicked out. That's a 155% real increase. And the schools are really bad. Um, you know, where is that success that more money should have bought? And then Tennessee lawmakers in the House of Representatives and Senate, they passed a bill meant to guarantee teachers make at least $50,000 per year by 2026, 27. They just did that. Um, and on May 28th, Governor Bill Lee signed the bill into law, HB 0329. So my question, I guess, is how do schools, which you're very familiar with, you spent a, a whole career in, use this voucher system for good versus what everybody seems to be thinking is going to be for bad to make it better if I just prove that money's not helping because the TCAP scores were terrible. Well, then you, we got about four different conversations to have off that question, right? Because yeah, you just asked a lot, you just, you just do a lot of information out there, but provided no context for any of it, right? So we can, we can pick this apart. I can pick this apart if you give me a lot of time to pick it apart because it's- Take it's the whole five minutes, go for it. It's a pretty simple answer because here's the problem with conversation. I, like you, 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 like people. I shouldn't say you, but you, you just did it, so I'll say you. They throw out these enormous numbers, right? And they give no. Con How do you feel about X amount of millions of dollars educating illegal immigrants? How do I feel about that? Okay, well, and then you then you throw the voucher conversation to that too. Like these are these are two separate issues. All right, we can we can as far as educating illegal immigrants. I am totally fine with that because they need an education. They're here. And until something is resolved at the federal level about immigration, like what choice do we have? Right? So we're not going to not educate kids who are here. They're kids. They're not here on their own. They're here because somebody brought them here. So we're not going to not educate them. Right? Like that, that shouldn't even be a topic of conversation. That's crazy. You're not going to not educate kids. All right? So that's, that's the first, that's my answer to that. The second thing, when you talk about vouchers, what you've got to talk about is you mentioned success rate. So you got to start with the standardized testing. That is a problem. And that is a problem with public education. And where that line is drawn, the, the supermajority, and this is where it's going to get political, because the legislation in Tennessee right now is top heavy with a lot of extreme Republicans, extreme Republicans who want to put in laws based around these standardized tests that prevent kids from advancing to grades simply based on a standardized test with which most of these legislators don't understand themselves. And so let's, let's start there with TCAP and if, if, cut me off if you need to. Okay. A lot of people say, well, X amount of Tennessee public school students can't read because of the third grade TCAP. You've heard this argument, right? You've yep. heard this narrative. They've been held back okay? in third grade. Yep. Right. TCAP doesn't measure reading comprehension. Did you know that? Like it, it, it's not, it's not a, it's not a test that measures comprehension. It's a test that measures standards, right? State standards. Now those are two different things. We have an assessment that measures comprehension, but for whatever reason, our legislators didn't choose to use that assessment. They could have, and I would have been okay with it. Eh, maybe not okay with it. I would have logically understood it more. I sat down with a Senator from West Tennessee and I said, listen, this test doesn't measure comprehension. And he said, yeah, a lot of teachers have told me that. A lot of principals have told me that. He was like, we really need to take it to the, to the chairman of the education committee. But truthfully, one or two people really steer the, that committee. 
And the rest of the people on the committee, they don't really say much. They just kind of go along with what they say. So what you have is legislation being proposed essentially by a couple of members. They take it to the floor. And if you're a Republican, you vote for it. If you're a Democrat, you vote against it. And because we are where we are in Tennessee, you get asinine legislation passed like this. And I think that is such a problem with the partisan politics now starting to creep into local races. We mentioned school board at the, either at the beginning or before we started recording. Then that's going to be, I don't know, I can't cuss on here probably. That's going to be, Dude, say it. <laughs> I can't, it's going to be a shit show. It's going to be an absolute okay. shit show. So let me ask election. you this last one. You're probably right, okay. but it's going to be fun. I'll have you back on because, you know, 35 minutes is never enough time for something so big, but but I, I do value your opinion. So Lee ran on 10 for Tennessee, which school choice was one of the 10. Uh, do you think the parents that voted for him five to six years ago didn't actually want that or maybe change their minds? And then here's where you come in. You called vouchers a legal way to resegregate public education. You made 15 points, which we can't go through any of them right now, from an academic college prep school from grades 9 through 12 to partnership with local industry for work-based learning opportunities like trade schools. Uh, next year is school board elections. Do you plan on getting active with those races and covering them for Tennessee Lookout? I'll, I'll, I'll definitely write some opinion pieces on the races for sure. Um, absolutely. And... Yeah, I think it, and we're already starting to see in, in Madison County here. There's a there's a there is a, a political group, not even part of the regular Republican Party, but a, I, I call them a fringe group, uh, and they are getting money from outside of the state, and they are recruiting candidates to run. And I mean, they're already on the ballot; they've already registered to run. I think the deadline is Thursday. Is Thursday. And uh, yeah, we're going to see how it shakes out and, and, and what it's done. And I'll say this too, just locally speaking, it's caused the Democratic Party now to kind of freak out because it's a, it's a very kind of a lamed up party, honestly, locally here. And they're trying to find candidates to run against them. And they're getting upset at people who want to run as independents, even though they may be a little bit left leaning. They don't want to attach themselves to a local party because they don't see any point in it. And I'm the same way. Municipal elections shouldn't be partisan. Like Jackson's a small enough town. You want to know an issue somebody's running, you just talk to them. It's not yeah. complicated. Especially the since whole... they made it so hard to get into the party in the first place in a supermajority Republican, the Democrats would love that same problem. Um, I'm going to throw it, try to throw it in there. You personally asked Bill Lee to call the special session that he teased for two months to take action on that issue that is was long overdue in your mind. It's the least our elected representatives can do for a state that is pleading for some kind of action, you said. Uh, he did have one. He didn't show up at it. Uh, what did you think he could do besides spend a lot of money to get that much done at that special session that was supposed to be about some kind of gun control after the Covenant shooting? And then I have to let you go. Yeah, Bill, he could have done a lot more. Uh, he was, In my mind, it was his. I don't agree with a lot of the legislation. Is I don't agree with him philosophically, politically. What I can say that he does is what he wants vouchers, charters, industry, everything he set out to do in 2018, he's pretty much done it. So what he wants, he can get done. What he said he wanted after the covenant shooting, and we, some people don't like the term red flag laws, which he wanted some type of system where we could keep dangerous weapons out of the hands of people who are mentally ill or emotionally distraught. He said he wanted that. That's the only thing he said he wanted he hadn't pushed for. He was weak in that situation mm -hmm. completely, right? 
I don't agree with him a lot politically on most anything. I can say I respect him for at least getting done what he said he was going to do. He was scared. He was scared of the Republican Party. He was afraid of whatever future endeavors he might have in politics would be ruined if he pushed on that. And I think that he was a coward for not doing it. That's what I think. I think it is strange he, I think that right afterwards he, he was. was able to bring Smith and Wesson into Tennessee. So he wasn't too scared of that situation. And then last question, do you think the school vouchers and the A through F grading system is going to finally be implemented? They've teased it for a long time. Do you think this is actually happening? It's going to be fascinating. I don't know. Because here's here, here's what I what I would not be surprised about is rural districts in Tennessee pushing back on this, right? Jackson and Madison County, we were on that original list in 2018, along with Nashville, Memphis, and I believe Knoxville. We got we got pulled out, right? It was a you know that that you weren't living here then, I don't think. Maybe you were. The way the initial voucher bill went on 2018 was shady as hell. There were so many backdoor deals going on. And of course, you had Casada in the house. So, you know, it was a wreck anyway with him mm-hmm. up there. But with all that stuff shaking out, it'll be interesting to see what the rural districts do. I think there's going to be a ton of pushback from rural districts because it's going to affect them most of all, right? That's who it's going to affect when this goes statewide. So I would not be surprised if we see what happened in Texas happen in Tennessee. Okay. All Which right. is where these rural districts push back against this voucher. Well, I definitely am going to want to have you come back and talk more details about this as it rolls out. And we'll, we'll watch it together in the news for sure. So tell everyone where they can go to learn more about you, hear more about your opinions since I didn't have enough time and um, where they can follow you on social. Like I found you on Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. I think I'm at gheart 14 I think that's my handle. Um, <laughs> TennesseeLookout.com, monthly column on on there, uh, www.gabriel-heart.com is my website. So you can read some of my selected works on there. Um, News Talk 96.5.com. Uh, right. You can find all my podcasts and my. I write in a weekly column for them and then some old archive stuff at Jackson Sun. So, all right. Well, thanks and again. And a couple in the Tennessee. And the Tennessee. Okay. They're still in business. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you. Happy holidays to you and your daughter, and uh, we will have you again soon, I hope. Yeah, sounds good, man. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. I don't understand how you ever did without me. I don't understand how I bring you down to your knees. Well, Steve, that was a great, great interview you had there with uh, with Gabriel.
Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, we are going to cover what we just heard. So you think it was great? Anything else that you got from well, Gabe? Well, what I, what, I, what I liked what he pointed out in, in off air, we got in a little bit of a discussion for a couple minutes. You and I and he all agree that this idea of testing for testing's sake, for testing's sake and getting everything, I mean, it seems like from freshman, junior, so, you know, sophomore, junior, senior, it's all about getting ready to go to college and all about getting ready to take those tests. And I didn't do that when I went to school. We just had our mandated, you know, history, English, sociology, soci social studies, speech, all that kind of stuff. And then we had a lot more what I would call Votech training, shop class, um, all these kind of things that you could opt for, art, you name it. And it made you more rounded. And you weren't all fearful about taking the, the, the classic, you know, ASAT class and all that. I remember... ACT and SAT, yeah, yeah. you certainly wouldn't uh, it, take shop now because it's not going to count towards your, you know, Harvard degree or whatever it is that they're trying to do. over 50% of people don't go to college, Steve. It's 75% and they even don't graduate and most yeah. of them are not even prepared for it. I know, I know. Well, I, know. I want to give everyone a public service announcement since they're probably very busy shopping online, maybe even listening to me in the background as they're hunting and pecking through Amazon. But the uh, meta platforms are marketplaces for child predators claims a lawsuit. Did you know this? Facebook and Instagram enabled adults to find, message, and groom minors for sexual exploitation, alleges state of New Mexico legal filing. Meta has allowed its social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, to become marketplaces for child predators, the state of New Mexico alleges in a lawsuit filed against the company and its CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. That's what you got to do. You got to go to the top. The lawsuit claims that Meta proactively served and directed children to egregious sexually explicit images through recommended users and posts even where the child has expressed no interest in this content. It claimed Meta enabled adults to find messages and groom minors, soliciting them to sell pictures or participate in pornographic videos. The company is also accused of fostering unmoderated user groups devoted to facilitating and selling sexual, child sexual exploitation content. This is right out of the filing criminal. The office's investigators found that certain child exploitative content is over 10 times more prevalent on Facebook and Instagram than it is on Pornhub and OnlyFans. A statement from the New Mexico Attorney General, Raul Torres, stated, Meta's contact conduct is not only unacceptable, it is unlawful, the lawsuit said. Torres also alleged that Meta allows and fails to detect the trafficking of children. Mr. Zuckerberg and other meta executives are aware of the serious harm their products can pose to young users, and yet they have failed to make sufficient changes to their platforms that would prevent the sexual exploitation of children, he said. It is clear that Meta's executive continues to prioritize engagement and ad revenue over the safety of the most vulnerable members of our society. The legal filing includes several examples of child sexual abuse material the investigators located on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. Meta's new platform designed to be a rival to X. However, many more images had to be omitted from the report because they were deemed too graphic and disturbing, according to the Attorney General's statement. Our investigation into Meta's social media platforms demonstrates that they are not safe spaces for children, but rather prime locations for predators to trade child pornography and solicit minors for sex, said Attorney General Torres. Instead, 
Meta's algorithms operate to search and disseminate sexually exploitative and explicit materials and to create its own social network of users looking to buy and sell the images and the children who are its casualties and its currency. In short, Meta has allowed Facebook and Instagram to become a marketplace for predators in search of child upon whom to prey, children on whom to prey, the lawsuit said. So they could find my little tweet amongst billions per minute, per second, but can't find pizza for sale and look into it. Okay. Steve, Steve, this is, can, can look who's behind that company in the first place. The, come on, we, we know that the people at the top enjoy little children and they are going to promote the Dickens out of this. And mm -hmm. uh, while we're on the quick subject, and I'll let you get, move on, on here, YouTube. I mean, I can't tell you now how many times up there in that right-hand little corner, um, provocative stuff, and it's pretty much ba basically saying 50-year-old women or whatever it is looking for, and I'm like, what? And, I'm, uh, and, and I've had people tell me they've reported it, and they do nothing about it. So these platforms, Steve, are not control. They're not being operated by people of the light. Let's just put no. it that way. And kids and kids aren't using their filters. And even if no. they are, there's ways around them. They know how to turn them off. I know. So back to the stories. Uh, the Daily Mail. Uh, dating app giants Match and Bumble have pulled ads from Instagram Reels after learning they were being served up among sexually inappropriate videos of children. An investigation by the Wall Street Journal found the ads along with content that was served up by the app's video algorithm. The journal's reporters purposefully set up fake accounts, then followed accounts featuring children on pages dedicated to gymnastics and cheerleading. Match and Bumble, horrified by the fact their ads had appeared alongside the vile content, have suspended their real advertising in response. The inappropriate videos viewed by the journal included a man lying on a bed with his arms around a 10-year-old girl and a video of a young girl lifting up her shirt to display her or so. Oh. Yes. Some Tinder ads were also shown, according to the Wall Street Journal report. In a statement to DailyMail.com, a Meta spokesperson said, we don't want this kind of content on our platform and brands don't want their ads to appear next to it. Hmm. Liz Kronkin, at Liz Kronkin on X, uh, five child trafficking, no, I don't know what that is there. Child trafficking taking place on Etsy, question mark. There are a lot of suspicious listings on Etsy, this is the arts and crafts website, that have people wondering if child porn or children are for sale for sex on the e-commerce site. For example, there is a picture of a pizza listed for sale for $9,000. And the listing reads, delivery instant download. Hmm. Oh. In that photo, there is also a cell phone strategically placed in the pizza box. I don't know what that means. See below, along with other suspicious listings. Well, I can't show you that. It's been well established that pizza is a pedophile code. Yep. Cheese pizza, actually. CP, child pornography. Via the FBI, DOJ, other law enforcement documents, and mainstream media articles, such as the Wall Street Journal report from earlier this year, which makes these listings extra alarming. Also, authorities have been able to bust many pedophiles because they used pizza as a pedophile code in an attempt to arrange to rape a child or to exchange child porn. Earlier this year, Eric Carnell, who is the British designer behind Abrelin, sorry, I'm not a fashionista, the LGBTQ brand that sells satanic themed t-shirts, sweaters, bags, and badges, 
certainly not a satanic fashionista, announced on his Instagram page that Target removed all his products. However, Etsy still allowed him to have a store where he sold products that have statements like, Satan respects pronouns. Unfortunately, I have seen many suspicious listings like this, she says, on multiple e-commerce sites. Since President Trump's Department of Justice took down Backpage, the child sex trafficking and pedophiles had to relocate their online business somewhere. So keep that in mind as you do your Christmas shopping. Speaking of online shopping, Amazon.com has grabbed the crown of biggest delivery business in the United States, surpassing both UPS and FedEx in parcel volumes. The Seattle e-commerce giant delivered more packages to U.S. homes in 2022 than UPS after eclipsing FedEx in 2020, and it is on track to widen the gap this year, according to internal Amazon data and people familiar with the matter. The U.S. Postal Service is still the biggest parcel service by volume. It handles hundreds of millions of packages for all three companies. I see those poor guys on Sunday. So do I. I see them all. I mean, it used to be they would work 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. Now it's seven days a week, 9 o'clock at night. You've got those UPS or USPS drivers driving it. They used to be a union, too. Anyway, Pitney Bowes forecasts U.S. volume will nearly double by 2026 to up to 39 billion parcels. And volume during this year's peak season is expected to exceed capacity by 5 billion parcels daily, UPS CEO Carol Tomei said in July. All right, this is what leads me to this story. A rural post office was told to prioritize Amazon packages, Chaos Ensues, by Carolyn O'Donovan, The Washington Post. You know about that paper. A tiny town 100 miles south of the Canadian border where welcome signs are written in both English and Ojibwe, must be Alaskan or Eskimo, and statues of Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox tower in downtown. Since early November, Bemiji has been bombarded by a sudden onslaught of Amazon packages and local postal workers say they have been ordered to deliver those packages first. The result has been chaos at the Bemiji post office. Mail is getting backed up, sometimes for days, leaving local residents waiting for checks, credit card statements, health insurance documents, and tax rebates. Routes meant to take eight or nine hours are stretching to 10 or 12. At least five carriers have quit, and the post office has banned scheduled sick days for the rest of the year, carriers say. If we keep getting this volume plus Christmas coming, we won't survive, one Bemiji post office employee said, speaking on the condition of anonymity to protect her job. We aren't equipped for this. Don't worry, anonymous lady. Santa Claus can do it all in one night. That's called the last mile problem, by the way. Amazon can accept massive amounts of orders, ship them out of warehouses they own all over the planet, paying terrible wages and terrible conditions, but can't get pesky humans to get it to your front door. Speaking of New Mexico and them suing Meta for child trafficking and themselves being right there on the cartel-run border, abortion sanctuary cities under scrutiny in New Mexico Supreme Court. Abortion issues come before two other state Supreme Courts in Arizona and Wyoming this week as well. Abortion access issues are up for debate in three state Supreme Courts this week with at least one case carrying potential implications that stretch beyond its borders. In New Mexico, where abortion is legal, state Supreme Court justices are being asked to consider whether individual cities and counties can pass local abortion bans and restrictions. The case stems from laws passed in two cities, Clovis and Hobbs, and two counties, Roosevelt and Lay, 
that banned the shipment of anything used to perform an abortion. New Mexico Attorney General, here he is, Raul Torres, asked the New Mexico Supreme Court to nullify these bans. Oral arguments in the case, State of New Mexico versus Board of County Commissioners for Lake County, are scheduled for Wednesday. Tomorrow, the New Mexico Constitution provides broader protections of individual rights than the federal constitution, and these ordinances violate the New Mexico's constitutional protection of equality, liberty, privacy, and inherent rights, argued Torres in his petition to the court. The local government's actions also exceed their authority by to legislate on a matter of statewide importance for which the legislature has preempted local regulations. So we're very used to state versus federal. Now we're talking county versus state. Get yep. ready for that in your hometown of Washington. Sign those petitions, people. And I kind of like this guy, New Mexico Attorney General Raul Torres. Hope he uh, keeps it going. He is um, going to lose that one, I I believe. Um, but he could fix that messed up state. Yep. He won election 55 to 45 last year. Um, I'll keep an eye on him. Uh, did I mention he's a Democrat? Weird. Uh, Stanford, Harvard, and London School of Economics grad. So very weird behavior. But he won't be invited <laughs> to the holiday parties if he keeps that up. Um, and following up on my breaking news about Poison Ivy League presidents putting calls for genocide in context, last week, the Penn one stepped down, still getting paid, just not as a president anymore. So that big payday prize like her predecessor off the table for now. But MIT and Harvard still have their terrible two. President Gay at Harvard is getting all the press and the trustees voted to keep her unanimously. I might add, and 700 professors wrote a letter to back her. So plagiarism is full on abided at Harvard because she's been exposed for plagiarizing four articles to <laughs> work her way to the top. But since they're going to keep her, I guess it's go for it, kids. Finals are coming. Um, ChatGPT is right there waiting for you. <laughs> Woke universities lead America to a primitive state by John M. Ellis from the Wall Street Journal. In this election season, it's almost impossible to find pro-Trump bumper stickers or signs Anywhere in my town, the reason is not lack of support, but fear of vandalism or worse. People nationwide have been physically assaulted and even threatened with loss of their livelihoods for no other reason than that they plan to vote as one half of the country does. And political goals are now commonly pursued by violent means. With this, our civilization seems to be regressing to a more primitive stage of its development, a time when disputes were settled by force instead of rules, and before the First Amendment guaranteed the right to speak freely on the social and political issues of the day. That's bad enough in itself, but worse yet is that this social regression began on college campuses, of all places, before spreading to the national culture. On one-party campuses, radical left faculty have established a political orthodoxy that student mobs enforce, and the political culture of the nation is poisoned as those students take home with them their professors' habits of seeing opinions that differ from theirs as an evil not to be tolerated. That's why I call it Poison Ivy League. That's a password-protected story at the thewallstreetjournal.com. So if you have a subscription, I'd recommend checking out John Ellis's entire piece. It's very good. Have a little fun at the next Antifa or pro-Hamas rally near you and put some Trump 2024 stickers on bumpers of their cars. And, and, you know, while they're yelling and, and screaming <laughs> right over the top of their coexist and save the whales or silence is violence ones or, you know, whatever, uh, watch them get vandalized uh, on second thought. No, don't do that. Definitely no, do not do no, that. No, it, don't it do not that. Be in your best interest. Don't do that. And I didn't tell you to. All right. Stay tuned for my thought of the day.
Hi, I'm Jackson Elliott with the Epic Times, and I'm glad to be here today on the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. You can look, but you better not touch. All right, Poison Ivy League, welcome to my quotes for the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes. You can list them all right down, right where everywhere. Search for Mill Creek View and hit the subscribe button and follow us. And I really hope you like it. Education is not the filing of a pot, but the lighting of a fire. Ah, I blew it. Education is not the filling of a pot. But the lighting of a fire, W.B. Yeats, I cannot teach anybody anything. I can only make them think. Socrates, I like to say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them think. I didn't know I got that from Socrates. Now I know. A teacher is one who makes himself progressively unnecessary. Thomas Carruthers, I am not a teacher, but an awakener. Robert Frost, don't think I've quoted Frost on here yet. Known for his realistic depictions of rural life and his command of American colloquial speech, Frost frequently wrote about setting from rural life in New England in the early 20th century, using them to examine complex social and philosophical themes taught at Harvard when it was good, but didn't like it. Good man. I never teach my pupils. I only attempt to provide the conditions in which they can learn. Albert Einstein. Teaching is the highest form of understanding, Aristotle. When one teaches to learn, Robert Heinlein, I grok that. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Gabe Hart, for reminding us that public schools pretty much suck. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of mcbu.us. Peace in our time and glory to God. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.